Hello. Hey, what's up? Hi, not much. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. Uh, just hanging out. Um, you're in uh, Norway, right? Yeah, I just got here yesterday. I've been in um, Copenhagen for a bit. Oh, crazy. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. It's been pretty cool. Thanks for last time, by the way. That was really fun that you got to come to my show. Yeah, that show is great. Uh, I, I've known about your music and I like it a lot. And then when I saw it, Thank it was you. very, you know, it didn't have the same sort of like qualities. It, it seemed very 70s in a way. Oh, wow. I haven't gotten that one yet. Yeah. No, I love that. I didn't really know what vibe I was going for. I mean, it's crazy because you came to the last one and compared to um, the first show, there's definitely a a huge difference in vibes, at least in my opinion, I think. Um, Yeah, I'm not... I'm not sure. I just kind of wanted to go for something, um, I don't know, bewitching. Somebody DM me, they were just like, they said they got, um, in Norwegian, it's called fotrollit, uh, which is like uh, kind of like bewitched. Like there's like a witch or something or wizard that's like kind of hexing you. And I was like, oh, that's really nice. It's kind of the intention, I suppose. But yeah, no, I'd like to bring it, bring it back a little bit. That dress that I was wearing was from the 80s. So I think that gave a little bit of a retro look. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was really mm-hmm. cool. I like how you, yeah, if, if you want to talk about some like uh, Norwegian bewitching, because I, I don't know anything about this. this. This sounds pretty cool to me. Is that like an, would you say like Norwegian folklore? Because you're part Norwegian, right? If I can. Yeah. Yeah, I am. I'm half Norwegian. Um, and I, you know, grew up with all the books and stuff. So the word itself, uh, my R's are kind of weird because I grew up in a part of Norway that has, um, they do something called the skadad, which is kind of like the French R, you know, it's like in the back of your throat. Um, and I was never able to do that. So I'm Norwegian. People think I sound fluent, but sometimes I have to try really hard on the R's. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, the word um, it has the word troll in it. Um, and oh, so, wow. yeah. And so in Norwegian folklore, you'll see that there's like a lot more about trolls rather than witches. Like we have trolls that go on our teeth and they're called caudius and bactus. And uh, if you eat a lot of sugar, the trolls are in your teeth and get happy. And that's how you get holes <laughs> in your teeth. Um, we also have like, um, Trolls under bridges, that's a huge thing. Oh, uh, um, yeah, gnomes under bridges. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're like, these little trolls, they like to play tricks and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it's pretty rich in folklore here in Norway. I missed some of the education on that because I was in America for school as well. So some things I didn't quite catch with me, but growing up there as a kid, it was super mystical you know we always felt like there was like little creatures like creeping about you know yeah it was a uh, different compared to virginia there wasn't any like folklore over there you know that's really interesting yeah one of my favorite paintings is the gnome watching the railway train by carl spitzwig have you seen that movie border about the no. trolls it's like a swedish movie but there are these trolls that don't have like sex organs and but they're like 
walking around sort of like in society and it's sort of like kind of about like marginality and uh, just like sort of being an outsider. I haven't seen it in like years, but it's a super intense movie. Yeah. So Norwegian trolls, like, do you have any other interesting stories about that? Cause like, I'm like, I don't really know much about this, but yeah, gnomes and trolls are like really cool to me. I mean, we have, <laughs> they're like, they're like a really funny thing. Um, we have a lot of statues from them. Oh my gosh, I just remembered. Um, we have this TV show that's about, they're called Nisid, which they're like a type of, they're like gnomes, I guess, but they're year round. They're not just for Santa. Um, and a lot of like these childhood TV shows. Hold on. I got to put my phone on Do Not Disturb. I hope that didn't mess anything up. My bad. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. So this show, uh, it's called something about Blue Fjell, which is like Blue Mountain. And there's like a like a magic power inside of that mountain. And uh, this has a lot, you know, because we have really funny times of um, like light and stuff. It gets really dark in the wintertime and really light in the summertime. So like how Norwegians are around the seasons and the weather, like we play with the mysticism. There might be some like paganism in there with that you know but it kind of like we have this thing called the blue hour which is like right before it gets dark especially in the winter time everything is blue you just it all looks blue and so this uh story like this tv show from when we were kids um they were in control of the blue light or like the magic in the mountain had to do something with like the blue light and stuff so a lot of like our um, children's shows is based around that I have to say it's not so like mystical in everyday life anymore. I think things are quite, you know, just regular now. I don't know how much people pay attention to it now, but I definitely know that as a kid, there was a lot of stories about stuff like that. Very different from America. I would say there's more like, I don't know, I guess like, I think somebody comment commented one time about, yeah, there was, I posted a picture of my cat and they were like, look, it could be a skinwalker. And I was just like, we don't even oh. have skinwalkers here in Norway. So it's definitely not a skinwalker, you know? And so it's kind of interesting how like different cultures will have different types of um, lore around what exists. But I, I have to say, I don't, I don't believe in skinwalkers, not here at least. I feel kind of safe. <laughs> yeah. The skinwalker, that's a Navajo thing. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I read about it. That's why I was just like, there's no way it was across the pond, you know? So, yeah. That's... It's like witchcraft and animism and tricksters and hayokas. It, yeah, it seems almost like the kind of like panpsychist mystical lore of the Americas was kind of like, you know, it, it was kind of like an indigenous thing. You know what I oh, mean? Oh, entirely. Like, totally. I feel yeah. like that's where a lot of it comes from. And that's why. You yeah, know, my great grandmother like, used to say "suklani," that means superstitious in Athabaskan. Oh, oh wow! Oh my God! So that's from the what region is that again? That's a Alaska. Um, wow! Yeah, that's um. There's like similar things. Like my great grandma up in the north of Norway. She, you know, she was pretty uh, superstitious herself. Like when the dog days come, she doesn't eat fish. Um, and she would always have a bunch of like animals on her porch and stuff that she'd feed like deer and all that. And she had her, she had her superstitions, you know, and my family's pretty 
or at least the Norwegian side of my family is pretty, you know, they're not super big in any type of belief. They're pretty, you know, monotone when it comes to, yeah, faith or anything like that. But my great grandma, I remember like they were moving into this house. This was like in like 1920. Um, it's like this farm property that we have. And um, yeah, there had been some sad things that happened there because this little boy, this family that lived there beforehand, um, when you're out in the boonies, like this is far out, especially back in like the 1920s, it, nearest hospital was like three hours away. Um, and it was a dirt road at that point. So it wasn't, you know, when there was a medical emergency, um, they didn't they didn't have the right access. And so the family that lived there before my family did, um, there was this little kid and I forget how he burned himself, but he like got a burn. Um, and yeah, it was super sad. He ended up dying in the house. That was, wasn't really the tone I'm like going for, but anyways, my, my great grandma, when, um, her and her husband moved in there, um, she saged the whole house. I'm like, how did she even get sage up there? Like up in the Arctic circle, oh, you wow. know, but she lights some kind of, uh, incense, to cleanse the space and every time i go up there like i would never suspect that there was any dark energy or anything like that like people who have sleeping issues they come up and visit they sleep like babies um the property is on like a bunch of uh white crystal you know the clear crystal quartz yeah um, and like i think some people are like really into crystals and like they like to collect them you know i think it gives them powers i think it's kind of sus when a lot of these <laughs> things come from you know like New age, uh, yeah. human potentiality <laughs> movement stuff, like First Earth definitely. Battalion. Yeah, the New Age yeah. movement is definitely a little sus, the way it was kind of like astroturfed out in the 70s. But I do like, oh God, yeah. I do sort of like enjoy some of the, like, I don't know, some of the sensibilities of it. And I definitely think New Age music is incredible. I mean, I love Popolva and all mm -hmm. the soundtracks for all the, um, uh, fucking what's his fucking name? Oh my god, not directs. Um, I forgot, but yeah, that's really interesting. I get what you're talking about, though. I think it's like, um, I think it's interesting, but it's cool that you're like bringing it back not to like this like surface 1970s kind of weird psyop level you're you're bringing it back to like its actual origin origins and yeah in the athabascan yeah. tradition there was a man-eating creature evil a malevolent cannibalistic supernatural being and they called it the wee chuji oh wow it's um basically a person who's been possessed by the power of like an ancient giant spirit animal and it's basically like a Ooh, person shit. who became like too strong or like too imbued with this animalistic power. But also like it had total a perception and sentience. Like the animals were like super smart and they can transform into like little normal size animals so they can trick people and they can basically eat humans. But it's like a human that can shapeshift and turn into animals, but its essence is like human, but it eats humans, basically. Damn. And it's seen as like a curse or a punishment. Like if you do something like that Suklani, like the Wichuji will just like come down and, and fucking uh, and your bones at night and disguise itself as like a beaver or something. 
So yeah. <laughs> sorry to go on that. Right? Yeah. No, 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 no. I, I think, I think this stuff is really fascinating. I um, took a course on like witchcraft, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like the new age thing that you think, oh, you collect these crystals and you make a little potion and make them fall in love with you. It was like, this was like people, you know, possibly getting killed because they had a witchcraft feeling that somebody cheated on their, you know, someone was committing adultery, you know? Um, it's very interesting because all around the world, you'll see that there's different communities with different types of witchcraft. And I do think that like, it can have some effect, like these rituals and these practices and like rites that people have, I think, but that just has to do with intention. I'm not so sure about like the actual plant being used or anything like that, how much effect that has. Um, like, uh, yeah, they've had, I'm like kind of blanking on what place this was but there was like there's one community where they would think it was a witch that was giving people like the sickness and that's why they would die but it turned out it was like a type of std you know um and it was like they like thought it was all about the witchcraft that they were doing so they do certain spells about it and like the un has tried going in to kind of put control on the situation you know provide condoms or vaccines whatever it is but um, witchcraft is so ingrained in some places still that it becomes, it you know, it can be health issues around it. Um, and I, I, there's like no reason to judge that either. I mean, of course, it's like a little bit sad, but at the same time, I think people are like, oh, they're so stupid for believing that that's the way things work. And it's just like everybody has different culture. I mean, our like Western society has plenty of destructive and, um, you know, nasty behaviors out there that hurt other people. So Definitely. it's kind of like... I think we should kind of bypass the judgment, even though it's like different. Um, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's kind of one like folklore thing that I'm really, or I used to be pretty interested in was vampires. Um, like how like people thought vampires existed and how they could come back from the dead. Um, and one theory that I think is like really, it sounds like the most reasonable one to me is that um, when there was a bunch of plagues and like, famines and stuff and people there'd be so many people dead they'd just be laying out on the street you know their bodies bloat when they die especially if they're not you know taken care of or not fixed but there were so many people dying they couldn't really stroll them away um so there'd just be like dead bodies there was even piles of dead bodies and so when these dead bodies start to bloat um like blood or like it's not even just directly blood it's just kind of like body mass will start to like come out of their mouths um and so it looks like they have eaten something with blood. So wow. people, I forget, I'm like blanking kind of on names and numbers right now, but um, there, people believe that they had been, you know, feeding on the life of humans. And that's why more people kept dying. You know, they didn't know that it was a certain um, sickness that people actually were just getting infected by breathing. Um, it was really, yeah. So they thought that these were vampires. And so they would, you know, put stakes in their graves to keep them from rising like a bell would ring, you know, and people would be like, Holy shit, the vampire is about to come out of its casket. Or if they woke up that they'd be stabbed by that stake. Um, so that they couldn't get out again. Um, so yeah, that's like a lot of the vampire stuff comes from that. Just the bloating of the body. Wow. <laughs> I had, crazy. that's crazy. That's super interesting. Isn't that, isn't that <laughs> wild? When I yeah. heard that, I was like, Ooh, that's kind of nasty. You know, like I always think it's funny when people say, well, things were better back then or when they talk about like like or masculinity and femininity like back in those days and i'm still like 
I don't know. Like it, we got some stuff to work on now, but at least we don't have to walk down the street and see bloating bodies. Like <laughs> I'm pretty grateful for that. <laughs> yeah, same. It, it's it's really weird. I've been reading this book called The Highest Altar, uh, unveiling the mystery of human sacrifice, and it actually sort of goes into the fact that human sacrifices, well, they they actually like still exist, and there's like cannibalistic rituals. You know, in Bolivia, actually, um, you know, because every time you build something, you have to sacrifice something like an animal or an effigy. But when skyscrapers started to get developed, which is like a very sort of like Western architectonic import, uh, they were like, we're going to need a bigger animal. So they started sacrificing humans and building upon the desecrated remains of the human sacrifice (laughs) and uh, and they're like babies and shit oh my god i want what what year was this like what decade this is like fairly recent i mean this book was written in i believe yeah 1990 so this was taking place in like the 80s damn yeah no i i I've never heard of that. One thing that I also thought was pretty surprising was that you know, the Notre Dame got you know burnt down. They found a um, what's it called? It was a little bit off topic, but they found a a mummy down in there, um, and they just they're oh, now yeah. trying to you know they're considering opening it up. I think they might have, but I'm all like, holy shit! Yeah, isn't there? Um, a, there's an ancient graveyard they discovered with yeah, like, right and, and it's like a yeah, and it's like there's like mummied like sealed yeah that's so crazy mm-hmm. it's uh there's so many like burial rites and all that stuff i think i think it's pretty interesting everybody has uh you know different ways of doing things well, um, now no, they're coming they out with like a... mushroom mushroom have you have you seen that mycelium burial caskets like the mushroom's gonna eat you and then you become one with the earth again <laughs> what i didn't know about yeah. that yeah, mycelium caskets. I think it's really freaking cool. I mean, <laughs> it's definitely one of the most like eco-friendly ones that I've heard of. Um, but I don't know. When I die, I don't think I'm going to be carrying that much shame with me, depending on like what way I died. You know, I'm going to be kind of over it. <laughs> yeah. Just, maybe, maybe I'll want to be in a regular casket. Who knows? That's so crazy. So they're making caskets out of mushrooms. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how they put the body in there. Um, or where they put it afterwards, but this is like really new. Um, but I don't know, that might be like the way of the future because you know, all this embalming stuff leaks into the dirt and the soil, and it's not going to be good for it. Let's say anybody ever does farm above a graveyard one day, you know, they don't know there's like a graveyard there that would really fuck up the crops <laughs> and be kind of nasty too. Yeah. So, like, so. Obviously, this has like a big impact on your music. Yeah, I, I guess it really does. Like what I've been, um, well, I've been writing a lot about movies and stuff, but there's certain things like earlier when I was first starting making stuff out, I'd make, you know, kind of emo lyrics or just be like, what do I write about? You know, and I just look for things that would rhyme, you know, pretty beginner stuff. I think that's how many people will start out. But then I started like referencing other poems and other, um, you know, cultures and stuff like that. And I wouldn't say like lyrically, I'll look into uh, witchcraft or like 
death and like what I've read or what I've studied or anything like that. But like the energy that comes from it, like the mystique, I think is really, I think it's special and it's just something that you can create. And I think it's, I think it makes it intriguing, the projects that you end up working on. Um, but it's also kind of just something that drives me. It, it drives my curiosity and it's much easier for me to make um, art about it rather than like just kind of, you know, pulling something out my ass. Like it's kind of harder <laughs> to make it good that way. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I would say that it's more like a feeling though. Like, like when I'm about to go make some music, I'll feel I'll start out thinking like, oh, I'm just going to practice. Like, I'm just going to, you know, work on some mixing or work on drums. Like, for example, like, I do not like making drums for my beats. Like, honestly, I do see an album at one time that's just going to have, like, no drums. Because <laughs> I just don't have fun doing it. Um, oh, it's the but then worst. I <laughs> like, yeah, it's programming just... drums is, like, my least favorite process yeah, no. in, like, music. Totally, yeah. I, I don't get why it's just so not fun, but I think it just, you know, I've never been a drummer or anything like that. So it's just not like playful for me. It's more like, it's kind of like doing math, you know? Um, right. But I Especially did... just like looking at these grids in Ableton. I'm just like, Oh God, why mm-hmm. do I have to look at this? I just want to like play. But I did actually just start EQing drums. And I actually really like that. Cause I remember part of the frustrating part about doing you know, the bass track or anything like that was the fact that like, I couldn't get it to like scratch my ear or like tickle it or like boom the way I wanted it to. And I started EQing each sound and it just made it like a lot more satisfying, but it's still something that I do kind of avoid. Um, but yeah, I have my friend, uh, Neil Sangren. He's a uh, playing, he's playing the drums on one of my tracks for the second album. And it was so refreshing to like have this real sound and kind of like an intuitive um, another artist on there, you know, it was, I was just like, this is kind of like the vibe that I want, you know, and it's so crazy though, how you can record real drums. You got to put the mic in a bunch of weird positions. I know that was a lot of work and I can't imagine, you know, what it took for him to get it to sound the way it did. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's exciting to do that. I'm definitely strained. Your question was, um, oh yeah. Okay. I remember what I was going to say now. Um, I feel like when I go to make music, it's like, I'll get picked up by, I don't know, like a feeling or something like that, like something that will, you know, drive the progress of a song. Um, and usually I don't write lyrics beforehand. I'll just kind of improvise on every track and just look for the sound and the melodies that I'm interested in having. Um, and then when I listen to the recordings later, I'll like pick apart what I'm saying. Like, it'll be kind of mumbly, but I know that there's like words in there. And I'm like, oh, there's a theme. And like, sometimes it'll be like Sky Cathedral. Like I sang something about that. And I was like, oh, now I kind of understand like what I mean about that. And that had to do with like power and dynamics. And yeah, so, but it's different from directly referencing. Because I also like to, you know, note what other people have done and read some poetry, like medieval poetry has been, something that I've looked into because they're just uh, so yeah. dramatic. <laughs> I love Breton Lays. Those are some of my favorites. Yeah, like I have been reading this book, um, Ork, I don't know how to say it, Ork, Orkneyinga Saga, um, which is like the history of the Earls of Orkney. So it's about all these different um, battles and all these different 
leaders and earls and all that type of stuff. Um, and in the story, because this is like a story that will be, well, it's like relevant to all the different Vikings, like all the different ones that were in, you know, Denmark and Sweden and Norway and Iceland, just in the North Sea. But it's like a like ever long process of trying to interpret it because they all wrote different stories and especially ones to make them look a bit better than the other um, people that they were battling. Uh, so you never really know like what actually went down because um, they definitely put, you know, a little uh, spice onto their uh, the events that happened. It's pretty dramatic. Um, but that's kind of what makes it cool, in my opinion. You know, it's like yeah. you don't know what's real. No, definitely. That is really interesting. Yeah, the the Earls of Norway is something I think all that stuff is super fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, um, and didn't like Matt, like Magnus, he went down to like Scotland and uh, yeah. I think the rating, like yeah, crazy. Exactly. It was just yeah, like, yeah. A lot of <laughs> and it's funny because like um, all we can, what we understand is like Denmark now or Sweden now, it was totally different back then. Different regions were owned, you know, and, and I think it's pretty interesting to think about like how the language developed as well. I'm thinking that like these pockets of people speaking, because there's a lot of valleys, especially in Norway. And you can hear that with like the dialects that people speak because they're kind of trapped in like a little valley. And that's how a really strong sound of language will develop um, compared to places that have a lot of like, you know, ports or, you know, these uh, sea, sea air. I'm blanking on that word right now. What's it? It's not even a pier. I guess just a port. Yeah. I'm forgetting the English word for it. It's like, yeah, no, no, like, no, no. That, that, yeah. <laughs> but the language will develop differently when there is like a lot of international travel or trade. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that's one of the really cool things about it. And what was, what was, I'm totally blank on what I was going to say. Yeah. The way, uh, the way civilization kind of circulates. Yeah. And especially like back during like this time, it's there's not so much documented information about it. It's like they weren't all that good or what they have wasn't, you know, very well preserved. It didn't last up very well. Um, so it's like there's a lot of blank spots, but there's like one one poem. I saved it here. Um, yeah. So there's like this girl that they're talking about. Uh, Rog, Ragna went to see Earl Rongval on some business and she was wearing a redhead dress. This is not the poem. Yes, this is the intro. Um, made of horse hair. Like a redhead dress made of horse hair. Like I've never seen a dress made of horse hair and that it, it wasn't preserved either. You know, we can't ever see what that looked like or uh, maybe, I don't know. But when the Earl saw that, he made a verse. So no sweet talk. Time surely was when the queenly ones covered heads with a kerchief. Now this merry matron ties a mare's tail. She's teasing me to her top knot. And it doesn't really make like much sense like to the casual reader, you know, but the way that they're describing each other, you know, it's like um, most admired of maidens, gold decked at our meeting, erminged, the exquisite once offered me her wine. Now fiercely we bear fire. You know, it's just like the way that they talk about, you know, sex and love and attraction. It's just so 
I don't know. It's it's just really dramatic. It's it's not the same as saying like she's hot, you know. Yeah, it's something completely different. We've definitely sort of lost our um, our way of courtly love and romance. Now you have like uh, Manosphere, Andrew Tate kind of people. And, oh my god! Yeah. It's, it, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you yeah. had you had a bit of that, you know, back then as well. But it was at least sort of like. Uh, coded in, in in a romantic uh, cadence totally there was um, and it was just like even if something embarrassing happened they still made it sound really cool like there's this one I forget which um, saga this was but there was one of the Viking leaders fighting and like his side was winning or something but one you know the opposite uh, the people that was fighting them apparently they you know, stabbed him in the stomach um, and his innards fell out, you know, all his guts and organs, like they had fallen out. And but because this leader was so fucking good at battling, he stuffed it all back in and just like carried on the battle, and they won, you know. And that's like what they recall in the story. Yeah, that's amazing. Wow, that's so cool. That's crazy. I can't. I mean, <laughs> who even knows if it's true? Like maybe, right. like yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Totally. I do kind of think like the Vikings were really boss. You know, I do yeah. think they were really strong and you know fierce and all that but some things are kind of funny there, there's another thing um oh yeah there's another well not that it happened well, vikings they tr- you know they trace a lot of indigenous american dna back to the vikings because the vikings also raided sort of like a speculation of why they're taller in stature than like your standard mesoamerican uh you know yeah. south americans that's why you know the plains indians in the 1800s were the tallest people on planet earth i think the average height of a man was like five nine or five ten but you know the average european male was like five two or something back then mm-hmm. and people have sort of been yeah. growing like progressively bigger here's why like like a lot of the guys in my family they're like six feet you know, on yeah. the, on that side. I think it has something to do with, you know, being Nordic. Maybe we just had to, like, walk more lengths or something to get around. I have no idea. Um, but, you know, it's pretty, like, fish and Dietary potato country. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like the fish and potatoes. That's probably the only meal I can eat and, like, not feel tired after. You know, like, when you have a hot dinner, especially if it's, like, fast food, like, I get really tired. Um yeah, and but that that doesn't happen when I just have like a boiled potato and you know fish. Uh, it just and there was also there's on this little island off of Japan, or maybe it is. Yeah, it's just this tiny island, and it's part of Japan. I'm pretty sure. I don't know somewhere in Asia, um, they have the least amount of Alzheimer's and dementia in the entire world. Yeah, that's like Ikaria so off of Greece. Is it really? Yeah, that is like the highest. Maybe that's a second one. Percentage of uh, uh, what do you call it? Where the people live to be a hundred and over. But yeah, people. I mean, they basically just eat like potatoes and greens and fish, just like in tons of olive oil. And oh yeah, and like every day too. It cures cancer. Like there, there are people who move from like the main territory of Greece to Icaria basically to die. And there are like stories of like them just like their health, just doing a total 180. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like, I'm not 
it's like really cool, but I'm also like not even surprised because like, I just know like, you know, diet is like, what's it called? I know for people trying to lose weight, it's like 60% diet or like 70% diet, like 30% working out, you know, right. um, stamina and energy has so much to do with like the gut, you know, cause all our hormones, um, are produced in our gut. And so it makes entire sense to me, you know, if, like I do see the link between, you know, different like types of depression and anxiety and how that, you know, correlates to brain health. Um, so I, I started eating for brain health and I also started thinking about, you know, how my ancestors ate because there can be so many different, you know, recommendations for what's the healthiest thing. But I know that if I'm not eating, if I'm eating a Brazil nut, I don't think that's any good for me. You know, I haven't felt epic after I ate one of those, you know, it's like, I look at, you know, what my family before me was eating. Cause that's, you know, how my body developed, you know, that's right. like yeah, what totally I come true. from. So yeah, fish and potatoes, uh, sweet potatoes, huge. It's, it's this, um, protein called alicine. I think that's how you pronounce it. That's what they notice is what really helps with the dementia and the Alzheimer's. It's funny because isn't there something within like, I don't know, one of these kind of like carnivore diet fad things like the rapey where you're not supposed to have a lysine and like omega threes are bad for you. Uh, and it's in, to me, it's like, no, I actually feel the best when I just eat fish and like herring. And I think, yeah, mm -hmm. similarly, um, it's probably genetic for me as well, you know, having like, and you know, totally. a lot of them There's are There's a lot fishermen. of similarities. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, like, um, like my Norwegian side of the family was like, they were fishermen, farmers, um, you know, like the people that, you know, fought in the world war two and all that type of stuff. And that it definitely, you know, it's, I think it has something to do with like us being like our grandmother's egg or something like that. When there's, when we're reproduced or whatever there, they've like pretty much science has confirmed that there is like some type of like inherited trauma, not even trauma, but just like traits and adaptions, like not even just from your first parent, but from, you know, your grandparents, that there's some, you know, genes and traits being carried over. Um, and so I think it's really insightful to look back into, you know, the history of your family and figure out, okay, what do I maybe need to deal with? How can I adapt? Like, how did they overcome? You know, it's just, it's like a, it's better than being intuitive because I think that we get a lot of things wrong when we're just like, you know, just kind of guessing tiptoeing around or like looking online, especially with all this like self-help stuff online. Now, I think it's just and like these diets, they just yeah. come and go all the time. Like the whole no fat thing. Like I feel, I feel bad for people that followed that, you know? Right. Well, that's There's the whole so thing. So much research. It, like you have this like Ray Pete diet thing mm -hmm. and you know, there was this, and then there's the, um, no carbohydrate thing. Uh, yeah. it's just like, there are all these fads and for a while it was like veganism. And now that's like really bad for you because people are basically like, you know, wilting away and they're not getting enough, you know, they're not it's getting the really, right house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's difficult to get the proper nutrients. Um, well, I was, I was vegan for, I don't know, like one or two years. Um, and I remember that like really helped me just kind of like, I felt like I could eat as much as I want, you know, and like still be healthy. And like, I went and got all my levels checked and I was super everything, you know, B12 was even really good. Like all these little different things in your body that you should check if you're changing a diet. It's like, I handled it really well, but I ended up eating the weirdest shit ever. I'm talking like red beets, 
beans and barbecue sauce also because i like i don't like going to the store like i'm kind of lazy i forget what's in the fridge i'm not lazy i'm just more forgetful so it was just like i ended up eating like these really weird things that wasn't enjoyable and i do think food like should be enjoyable it totally. should be well that's the problem something that you're yeah. having a good time with well that's part of the problem with like these like really strict diets is that i feel like the neuroses surrounding what you should and shouldn't eat actually takes like a massive toll on your body entirely and so you know, to it's me like, like i'll I, just eat fried chicken and whatever sometimes but i do generally feel the best when i eat fish you know and i think yeah i was like pescatarian for five years and i oh, definitely wow, yeah. felt like or actually probably longer like off and on for maybe like seven years or something but yeah i definitely felt like way better and yeah for some reason it's just yeah sorry <laughs> sorry to cut you off no no, no, no. Uh, I think I was going to say, oh, yeah, I healed a lot of like my food issues. Cause I remember like it's just I was just like fed so much, like not even like, you know, from my parents, but just the environments around me. Like everybody was on a diet and like everybody's mom was on a diet, you know, um, and I'd either see kids who had, you know, gushers in their lunch bag or like um, other kids who just had, you know, the strictest and like the healthiest health. Oh my God. I'm like stuttering on my words, healthiest things ever. Um, and so it's just like, it can just be the messages that are being sent to people from a young age in general, and you know, society that can feed this, like, like you have to think so hard about food. Um, and like a way that like, I kind of conquered that was just, I started like saying, thank you for everything. I like just started saying, thank you for the sun, you know, for, you know, doing the whole photosynthesis thing with the plants and, Thanks for the farmers for taking care of them and harvesting it and to the drivers that transport it to the grocery store and the grocery clerk, you know, who checked it out for me. Um, and then, you know, myself for being able to walk to the store and go get it and having money to pay for it, you know, and it just made it like this, like grateful thing. Like I'm so honored, you know, to eat this kind of like, it's a really cool experience. And then, you know, kind of drop the shame around it or like the obsession around it that I noticed like a lot of people have, I, I don't know many people who are very normal around food. Um, like almost everybody I know has had some type of avoidance towards it or obsession with it. And I understand that like we all get kind of addicted to something, whether it's a good way towards it or a bad way towards it, you know, it's like, it can be drugs or it can be food. I mean, same thing, it's neurochemicals in the brain. Um, but learning how to manage that, like gratitude definitely helps a lot and uh, tapping into how the people before you used to eat it's cheaper too and cleaner any whole food diet is going to just kind of save you from all these processed things and you know a list of ingredients that's like 50 different things is just not going to be all that good you know yeah totally that's um yeah it's that's a really good point yeah you're this is like really, really fascinating to me, everything that you're saying. And I was like basically just going to ask you questions like, what was it like doing stuff with like cemetery and all, you know, and, and you're like hitting me with like all of this crazy knowledge. Wow. I'm like super impressed. Thank you. I, um, I like, well, sometimes I don't like to think, but I think a lot, you know, like the brain doesn't really stop for me. Um, which is, you know, fun. It can lead to a lot of different ways, but it's also like nice to be able to calm it down. That was something like traveling did for me this summer. It's like, I couldn't really think ahead anymore. Like I couldn't, you know, when I make decisions, it just became too much for me to think about, you know, the 
possible outcomes of every choice, you know, because, you know, you have like options of what you can do for the future and you have three options, you know, I think about the outcome of each one and like five different potential outcomes of each one. I was like, this is great. You know, if I was being hired to like lobby for a company, you know, like this would be a really good resource, but it's just when I'm trying to choose ice cream, it's just not ideal. So yeah, I, I love, I love knowledge, but at the same time, I try not to, you know, let it take over, you know, take over play, you know, it's like right. learning how to be playful, but still like have things to think about. Uh, yeah, it's pretty fun. That's a it's great a, reminder for me because I've been like, ugh, just cramming lately and it's been fucking insane you know and, and i'm totally. so so that's amazing advice you know because it's like you definitely want to keep that you know like that idiocy inside of you or that sort of like virginal uh me, like mental virginity about you alive instead of you know because very much so yeah and and i think that's really super important and that that's kind of like the theme of my own life coming up just because I've been like you know doing this podcasting stuff for so long and I'm just like I just need to get into music mode and you know do a bit of like yeah. research and on, on other things and you know because there's so many things that I don't know very much about but I'm like really fascinated by and super interested like you're telling me all of this stuff right now and it's like as soon as I get off, I'm just like, oh shit, I have to like look all of this stuff up. <laughs> Not to like yeah. even seem smart, just because it's like genuinely super interesting and I, I don't know very much about it, you know? Yeah, it, it's kind of interesting because I like, I don't know, I don't know if it's like the, it's like an insecurity of mine or like the perfectionist in me that is very just like, I always feel like people know more or that like I'm kind of stupid. Like this comes out a lot in like music for me. Like it's like, I don't always trust my own knowledge or my memory. And I think that this is like a very normal thing for many people. Like, I think intelligence comes down to being curious. Um, it, it's not, you know, like how well referenced you are, or anything like that, but like how willing yeah. you are to kind of absorb new information. And I feel like that kind of really like saved my summer because I could have easily been, you know, overwhelmed or felt overstimulated or anything like that. But I just was very like, I'm so curious about what's going to happen. Even if something, you know, goes wrong, you know, when you're traveling a lot, interacting with a lot of new different people, there's, you know, potential for some harm. That's why before I left, you know, before I left for tour, I was like, I don't want to do it. I'm so scared. You know, I was just like, it's just not going to, I'm going to well, fail. You know, that I had was like your all first these tour. Yeah, it was. It yeah. was. It was my, my first show ever as a Lucent. So. Oh, crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was definitely, but I'm so glad I did it. And I really, really enjoyed it. That must've been uh, really intense going from like never having performed to like touring the United States. That's, that's super intense. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was definitely a shift from my everyday life. And also cause I, you know, I live in a pretty small community and I, I'm not like, well, up until this summer, I just haven't been very social. I mean, of course I chat with some people online and stuff like COVID really brought out the online in me, <laughs> but, um, like I tend to keep my circle very small. So like the way that I'm used to presenting myself to people or hanging out with them is very like, we hang out because we have similar interests or like, we like to do some, we have similar attitudes about things, you know? And so switching from that into, you know, a country like America, it's, 
a very different way of being. And it's different also working rather than just being on vacation too. Um, and it was kind of like a beautiful challenge for my brain to feel the freedom to be whoever I wanted to be. And it was kind of just like trusting myself and feeling confident in myself and being kind, you know? I feel like you just can open up a lot of blessings when you're open to what can happen. But also like being able to set some boundaries too. And uh, I felt like it was, it was really like important time in my life to kind of explore this freedom, this freedom of just being me. And also just like being on tour, like I tapped into this crazy work ethic. I was so excited to work and I've had a lot of different jobs, but I've never had one where I've been like so excited to get down there and do the best that I can do, you know? And that felt really good. I, I was surprised that I even had it in me. Wow. Yeah. That's really amazing. Yeah. Your show was, was super interesting. And I feel like in the current landscape of like, uh, like ephemeral, like, I don't want to, I don't even know how to say it. Like sort of like ephemeral fucking etheric hyper pop where things are like really kind of like rootless and disembodied. Your stuff definitely seemed to have, or seems to have like this sort of like, you know, ingrained like like there's like there seems to be like some sort of like history animating what you do and it's it's very clear from this conversation that you you're a student of your own history and of many different histories yeah well it's actually really cool that you say this because i remember when i was first starting out music like i had artists that you know i resonated with and that i looked up to and i was like well i can't I can't, like, I was really into dance hall for a sec, you know? And I was like, I, I love making it. I love, you know, listening to it. And I was like, but it's not really me. It's not going to feel as natural being up there. Or like trap beats, for example, like it's super fun. I can play with that. And I still like to do it sometimes. But when you're telling a story, also lyrically, you know, what I'm putting in there, I knew, like, I could foresee myself feeling insecure or having like an existential crisis later on in life, if I just kind of was only referencing um, something new, you know, I wanted to live somewhere else. I wanted to be friends with different people. And that. I think COVID and lockdown brought a lot of that out of people. There was a sort of like endless seeking of novelty and, you know, like potentiality and uh, like the way we sort of like, distribute potentials became super widespread but to me it it almost sort of like it it almost like made things more solipsistic in a way And, and, and now I think that we're sort of coming out of that phase you know and myself totally included I totally fell for this and you know I I'm a little like you know I have some misgivings for my own sort of like intrigue with like newness and and what could happen and you know it's really good to sort of be reminded of of like you know like oh maybe this doesn't feel right maybe this isn't you know and i because because i feel like people felt so like uploaded to you know the internet itself you know it was like full-blown yeah uh, i I was like really online you know that's like how i made a lot of a lot of the connections that I got to meet this summer, which I actually think is beautiful. Like they were really nice connections that I made and we just, you know, chatted online and I finally got to connect in person. I was like, wow, everybody is so 
so lovely, you know, it, it was, it was beautiful. So I felt like under COVID, I think I did something right, or at least it feels that way because I had been doing all that novel. I'm always kind of searching for novelty. Like if I need to drink water, I buy a fun water bottle. You know, it's just, I know how my brain works and I try to trick it into doing things. I'll put something novel in it. Like, for example, I had this idea with clubbing. Um, I get really bored at the club most of the time. I don't know what to do with myself. It's loud. I can't talk to people. And it's just not all that interesting. Like, I do too. I've yeah. seen it all, you know? It's just, even like the coolest clubs, I'm still like, I feel kind of awkward. <laughs> and I thought about what if there was like a challenge or a quest for a club or a party? Like when you go there, like you have like a quest that you have to fulfill. You're like, welcome traveler, ready for your quest, you know? Right. And it makes it like an adventure for the night and there's music and there's like fun, exciting thing. People can dance. Like, let's say you have a quest to do a certain dance. I don't know. I think it's going to be more elaborative than that. But I do like, I know that things do get more interesting if you add a little bit um, of thought you know, and like, yeah, yeah. Or just like, some sort of like conceptual bend to it. And I think that's actually, yeah. you bring up a really good point because um, I kind of feel like the Overton window has shifted and now people are who in music and art, who had sort of like this sort of like anti-conceptual or like, I don't want to say like intellectual because that's like a little too pretentious, but you know, like, just sort of like making music for music's sake or like art for art's sake. I feel like the pendulum is like sort of shifted back. And now you're starting to see like DJ groups pop up that have like these sort of wild, elaborate theories behind them. And, totally. and, and you know, they're sort of like creating their own sort of like, I guess, narrative space. But instead of doing it in a way that makes it about them. It's like literally sort of about the celebration and the party itself. And the kind of like, it's, it's kind of like a potlatch economy, you know, which, yeah. which I've always been super into. I think it's, um, I think it's really cool to see what's happening now because I mean, like you could do the same things over and over, especially like culturally, you know, but that's the beautiful thing about culture and, you know, new generations that things will always kind of, change and they're going to come with new ideas towards it. And I really like, I like being Gen Z, you know, like I, I think it's exciting. I enjoy the way that I interact with people, but it's like, yeah, like what I was going to say something about COVID. Um, I, I did much less, I found novelty in everything that was, that used to be ordinary or the same to me, you know, like I was in the same place for such a long time. Um, but it was like around a lot of nature and around things that like I hadn't explored since I was a child and a way that I like found, you know, like I understood how to make my art sustainable because I want it to sustain me. Like I want it to be a slow growth and like I want it right. to be spiritual as well for myself because I do see as like creative involvement being also like an internal involvement. It's all about, you know, how you're taking in stimulus and input and how you're taking it out and that process that happens internally um, I think that that is something that I'd like to evolve and I'd like to get better at and make not even like efficient, just make pleasurable, you know, enjoyable and, and exciting. And like, I understood that for me to feel good about what I'm doing now, 20 years from now, it's gotta be from something that I come from. And so I thought about 
you know, my family, like, like the farmers in my family, the fishermen, like the hard work that they went through and also, you know, the pain that they went through. And I kind of like, cha- like I channeled it and like, I thought about it and I was like, I'm going to express myself for you guys, you know, like for my ancestors that had to work so fucking hard, you know, to make life work. It was really difficult times um, for both sides of my family, American and Norwegian, um, especially, you know, back in the like mid 1900s, you know? And uh, yeah, like I just, like my Nana, for example, is like, she's, she loves to sing. She always sang in the church and stuff like that. And I knew like everybody, like, like I can see, especially the women, like on the American side of my family, which is actually Croatian, uh, Italian, they emigrated in, I think, 1950 or something like that. Um, like they have this, this, you know, energy to them where they really wanted to do big things, but you know, they made a decent living, but they weren't really able to tap into creating or, um, working with a certain instrument and making that their main thing because, you know, they had to put food on the table or they had to grow up, you know, like times were different. And so in that sense, I'm so incredibly blessed that I have the opportunity to, you know, dive into my talents and, and work on that and embrace them. Yeah. And we might actually be slipping back into that sort of mode of producing again, just because I think, the immaterial or mediological economy has become so like bloated, not to use the, the vampire. <laughs> I guess you could say. <laughs> I can see it in both yeah, ways, yeah, you know, same. but it does, oh, it, yeah, something yeah. will end up regurgitating in a nasty way, you know? 100%. Like, I can see that. Yeah. So, so like my theory is that we're going to start going back to this like system of like nano businesses and sort of like underground networks of bartering and repairing and even even things like home shopping with 3d printing oh yeah totally that's interesting i haven't thought about that so it's almost like i feel like the hobby is going to make a really big return and and i think it should only because like you know these corporations basically own all commodities and your relationship to commodities because you can't repair anything. There's like no right to repair laws at all. They've been totally destroyed. Yeah. Um, you can't get the blueprints to everything. Everything's modularized. You can't fix anything. And so like, do you actually have a relationship to the stuff that you own? And basically like, Entirely. this is why I've been going to like antique shops a lot and just sort of like looking at older stuff. And it's not, you know, it's not just like kitschy retro stuff. I mean, it there is like a fundamental human object relationship that comes out of at least even just perceiving older things. It it, it really does sort of change, you know, your position within the world, you know? Entirely. And also the way that things were made back then was entirely different. Like it was and it's really so impressive, yeah. It is, it is really impressive. And I find it frustrating now that like, for example, in Norway, like halogen bulbs are banned. Um, they don't make them anymore and you're not really supposed to use them. I still do because um, they emanate heat. And so in the wintertime when it's super cold, like you want to be able to, you know, use energy the best way you can rather than, you know, turning up the thermostat a bunch. If you just have these halogen bulbs on, 
your room will have this natural heat already coming from the light bulb. Not ideal in the summertime, but it's so light here anyways, you don't need much lighting. Um, and yeah, so they only, they really only sell LED light bulbs now, which I find to be just like traumatizing to my eyes. Like they're horrible to look at. They do not look cute. It's like, it's like the opposite of ambient lighting and people try to do ambient lighting with LEDs. And I'm like, it's Never still works. kind of, I'm just not, no, I'm not vibing with it. You know? Well, they want so, you using LED lights because it serves the optimization of everything. Yeah, but. At the same because time, it keeps it you working to make them. Oh it's yeah. A, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing it's is like really the whole fucked. sort of like green economy is also, uh, it's like a weird bougie kind of like socialism thing that is kind of like, I don't know, like Marx talked a little bit about this and like the Grundrisse or whatever. It's basically like selling mm. you some like green yeah. thing, except like at the same time, the LED light is an unnatural sort of light that actually is utilized within enclosed workspaces to keep you working longer hours. Oh, so yeah. especially Even like, at school. Yeah. At school. Uh, and as we sort of like become more of a control society or like a task oriented society, it's almost like the, the halogen bulb was something that like, they don't want ambience. They want you either awake or asleep. Like they don't want you relaxed. They want you productive for capitalism or whatever you want to call this like weird, bizarre world that we live in. It's like, I don't even know what to fucking call it, but they want you to keep working to increase profits. (laughs) Yeah. And and that's what like, LED light bulbs are like, sorry, but LED light bulbs are literally like greenwashing. Like I understand it's nice that they're not emanating heat, you know, but it is greenwashing in the sense that like is being produced by plastic, but yet they're like, oh, look, you know, you're saving this, this and that energy cost, but you're not really saving energy costs. If you do have to turn up the heat in the wintertime, when you'd normally get that heat elsewhere, you know, from your halogen bulb, halogen bulbs do not require plastic to be produced. They're actually really efficient source of light. And so, uh, yeah, no, I, I do think it's a pretty sad direction. I see a lot of my friends turmoiled by, you know, this pressure, especially over in America. Like, you know, I've lived there for most of my life, but I just knew that if I lived there right now that I would, I, I think I'd get sucked into a sort of desperation. And when you're kind of in this, you know, fear state of mind, you can't really play as much. It just inhibits you to explore what I think is like the meaning of life or even just like the meaning of death, you know, like who we are after we, you know, pass away. And I just, yeah, I went to DC for a second, you know, because I had grown up in Virginia and I just, when I was there, I really, I was paying attention to how different like my friend's lives were compared to mine, you know, the pace that they took things and how like somehow they were still really young, but doing these really adult jobs, you know, it's just like, I could never, I feel like COVID took two years off my life and not really off of my life, but like, I feel like I could consider myself younger because I feel like those years don't count in terms of social experience, um, internal experience for sure. But I noticed that and I was just like, uh, I don't think I could do corporate. Like it'd be really chill, you know, to have that kind of easy money. And I wish that I could do that, you know, nine to five and, and, live with led lights but i just know i can't you know i just 
I would be miserable. I even worked like a service job for a short, short amount of time. And every time I'd come home, I just wanted to sleep. You know, it just, it drained everything out of me. Yeah. Now oh, that's, that's a really good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it does feel like it's hard though, because in those two years, it's like, well, I, it's a, it's totally different for me probably than it is for you just based on like my location or whatever, or like people's locations in general. Like I thought that they would be sort of restorative, but I also feel like the, the hyper plugged inness to everything actually just sort of like burned people out and they, they kind of lost. I, and I think burnout happens when you're just exposed to all of these new like layers of information and data and trends and names and uh, and you're not given time to process it when no, it's no, constant you know it's, it's actually it's kind insane. of like a purgatory of just particulars and, and yeah totally for sure i um i definitely like i like you know how exciting things can be in america and like i thrive there i've never been so happy in my life as i was this summer like i really love how entertaining things can be but there is like the deeper side, but like the less spontaneous side, um, where a lot of people are in fact struggling. And I do think, you know, um, it led to, to a lot of insecurity and people also, if people had COVID, um, it, you know, there's been research that has proven that there's inflammation in the brain. I think any type of sickness can give you inflammation in your whole body and the brain is included. People forget about their brain. Like, um, even tapping into what we were talking about earlier with food and stuff like that. Like I eat for my brain, you know, like I try to keep it strong so I can have better focus, better attention span, um, and leveled mood. Um, and so people who were suffering from COVID, it's not just like the one or two weeks you were sick or even a couple of days, the aftermath of that is, you know, inflammation in the brain. And I noticed in general, how society was just a little bit more anxious, a little bit more on edge and people couldn't really figure out why, you know, there was like, not like a traumatic event that had happened that had led them to feeling the way that they did. Um, and I think that's something that people, um, haven't fully realized. And I think that there should be some initiatives for healing towards that. Like, um, just encouraging people to slow life down, like go for hikes, spend time with family and friends, Rather than, you know, it's like right after COVID ended, it's like, okay, finally we can go back to work and we can do everything again. And I'm like, hey, we didn't get like time to recoup, you know, time to heal and take care of ourselves after this. And I think that's why like most work now, like maybe some of it will be fueled by this really strong energy to burn things because not everybody like had COVID either, you know? So there is definitely like, I feel like this like excitement. At the same time, I do wonder how sustainable it will be um, and I mean, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, there's like this looming recession as well, which well, it's already I just, here. They, they just edged yeah. the definition of, they, they literally changed the definition of a risk. I mean, we've had two quarters of negative GDP growth in the United States and actually globally as well. So, yeah, no, I mean, globally, because it's, it's over here too in Europe, yeah, you know, uh, no, inflation it's, is terrible. Oh yeah, totally. So we're in it and you know, and I think it's going to cause us to sort of slow down. It's, it's going to happen. Totally. To, and so we're going to have to get less. Um, I don't even know how to say it because I've been thinking about it so much that I, I don't even like, 
even know how to talk about it in, in an interesting way anymore because it's just so yeah. on my mind. Um, well, yeah, it's it's really abstract and it just almost seems to me like the recession washed away a lot of the kind of mm, novel hallucinogenic experiences of the last 2.5 years. Totally. It's perfect that you said that because I was going to say, like, I think people were, you know, keeping their minds as busy as they could under COVID, you know, due to the circumstances. And what we see in recessions is that society becomes a lot more collectivistic. I mean, you have to depend on other people. And especially right now with transportation, like exporting, importing is a bit more difficult than it was before. And so you're going to see a lot more like local community connections being built. You know, maybe people can't afford to travel as much as they used to. Um, Plane tickets are expensive right now. The only way that I can, you know, hop around is because there's youth tickets, um, which is like, gives you like half the price. So I can get around pretty cheap, but if you're not, you know, in the youth bracket, it's much more difficult. And um, I'm actually really eager to see how, collectivism is going to be, you know, in year 2022, 2023, and however long it lasts, you know, because we can reference back, you know, to history and see how people were. Um, But we have different resources now. We have different tools. And I wonder if people are going to like actively know, okay, like I need to lean on my friend, my parents. A lot of people are dependent on their parents, you know? Um, And I think that I think those are actually good things for society. The whole rush to get out the house, like really early on. I think that it's just kind of like sad. Like I love my family, you know, I love hanging out with them. You know, it's like, I'm not desperate to get away. And I think some of my friends aren't either, you know, from the other people that I know who are still um, really connected in that sense. But yeah, no, when I was in America, I stayed with friends a lot. And it's like this, like, oh, I feel bad. Like that, you know, I have to ask for favors, but I also feel really good from it afterwards, you know, because I feel so grateful that people want to, you know, share and help out. And it's like an honor to return the favor. Like I just keep right. telling people like, now it's your turn to, you know, come visit me because giving really does feel better than receiving. And I think that that is something we're going to have to lean on no matter how much we have. Like I oftentimes I'm like on a very strict budget, but I don't really live like it because I don't want to feel that lack. And I know that, you know, what I kind of put out does come back to me and I don't feel insecure in that way. Well, and I feel like we've sort of, we've sort of been living out this cosmic potlatch within the symbolic realm. And now it's time to sort of like make that thing real. And the whole tradition of potlatch is like, it's one of excess and it's, and it's a sharing economy and it's a giving economy. And, um, one of the things that I think is very interesting is like, yeah, you're going to start to see, I feel like people acting in good faith. Yeah. And exactly what you said, just like leaning on each other and even like sort of like hyper focusing what they're specialized on only because there will be other people who are going to need and really sort of appreciate, uh, what they offer to a community or to any sort of group of people. And so, totally. and I think like, that's, that's like most of what I think about. And, you know, like my whole process going into stuff is like, well, 
what does the world not have and what does it need more of? And so That's I start to see yeah. like, all right, hot takes, opinions, uh, culture war stuff. Okay. The world is enough of that. We, we don't need any more of that. Like, what can I do? Um, what can we do now? Because it's very easy to sort of like, you know, once you hit the right note, like ride that note out for an extended period of time. And really start to do things that, that don't actually matter anymore uh, mm-hmm. only for the sake of like lining your pockets. But I mean, there's, that's got to feel so terrible at a certain point. You know what I mean? Like to me, it just all feels like really gross and, and nasty. And I just, I want like nothing to do with anything like that. You know, I'm just so, yeah. I'm like, honestly, like a little bit like revulsed lately at just sort of people's like behavior and it's just you know i understand it's not them it's just like the state we're all sort of in i mean i'm not above it at all myself you know it's just i I, it's but what you're bringing up is like a really i think it's really interesting yeah like hobbies and crafts and oh yeah like doing crafts is it's it's um that was one thing that i like realized while touring and also these people often ask about my new music a lot and if any of them are listening to this the reason it's out is just kind of like it's not out yet it's gonna be out like next week i'm pretty sure i'm hoping like it's like 90 percent done it's just kind of you know sometimes i don't trust my ear because i'm doing the mixing myself and like it's just it's a lot of work and um it sounds but, great i mean yeah you thank you sent me it. it's 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 so good Thanks. Like I'm, I'm really excited about it. And I'm, I, I feel like I'm getting there now where I'm kind of like, the more I listen to it, I'm just like getting really tired of it. But it was like, when I was on this tour and then when I was in America and I met all these people who really resonated with me and I resonated with them, I started to think about, you know, what it is to have a career or what it is to work, you know, because like I do work and I study as well. Like I do like a lot of different things at the same time. But I started thinking about, you know, in society, like where am I needed? What can I contribute with? Because I think communities, it's huge. Like, I think that that will be, you know, what carries us through difficult times. And it can be smaller communities, bigger communities. And community takes, like, interaction. You can't just be, like, I mean, you're very, very lucky if you're just immediately taken in. But it takes work from both sides. You have to put effort to be right. in a community. And it's it's, just, it's a two-sided it's to- thing. Well, that's it's the thing about communities no. that people don't want to talk about is you actually have to be accepted, you know, it like any sort of community doesn't have this kind of like radical notion to kind of like integrate the other, you know, there's always going to be people outside of the community. It's a, it's a closed space, but the problem with the kind of like modern endless open spaces that permeate now or exist now is that like they don't, offer any sort of closure like within a community you have um you have these sort of like um shared spaces and rituals and stories and lores and the way you structure your life you know it begins and ends with the things that are passed down to you generationally Mm -hmm. and so when you hear a story it's like that's the end of the story there is no seeking anything further it's like if you structure your entire community around a peach tree, then the peach tree will, you know, have its own lore and stories and, you know, rituals will sort of foment around it. 
Um, but the problem with today is that because we don't have those, so like there is like a bit of a give and take, right? You know, but at the same time, like Entirely. what we have now is like burnout, malaise, depression, um, feeling like people are just kind of running on empty because everything moves so fast. So, yeah. And I also like, I think people are, they're not asking themselves the question, where am I most needed? Cause that's what like, I totally kind of concluded. Like when I was in America, I was like thinking like, well, where am I most needed? I, I think I'm most needed here. You know, I think I'm most needed making music and, or just, you know, producing anything creative or just, sharing my expression because I've tried, you know, different outlets. I've tried different types of work. And like, I know that there's many things that I could be good at um, and that I could do well, but it's like, I know that I'm not needed in corporate or I know I'm not needed in God. I don't even know, like the flower store, you know, it's like, I, I, I get inspired when I see other people who are doing something where I can tell that they were needed there and they're supplementing that industry or that business or that connection with their presence. And I think that that's like a big question that people need to be asking because we're like, capitalism is always going to trick us into thinking that we should be somewhere where like, they're going to trick us into thinking we're needed somewhere we're actually not, you know, it's like I could develop my skills and best effort into doing a job, but I'm not intuitively needed there and there will be a dissonance in that sense. And I think internal struggle where people do get burnt out because they're, you know, spending time doing something that is not truly how that they, in the, like a way that they can provide for the world. Cause I, I feel really good giving as much as it is like receiving too, especially creative. Like I feel like I get, I get insane amount of pleasure from, being playful and trying new things and music and stuff like that. Um, and I was, so, I was so surprised as well when I was going to my shows, cause I really didn't realize being online, you know, not having met any fans or anything before. Like I didn't really understand the connection that some people had with the work mm. that I've been doing. And it was like, it was it's so a beautiful, beautiful feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like meeting like long lost friends. I was like, wait, you get it. You know? And they were like, yeah, it and I was like wow it was it was really really special and it was like this reminder for me that I think this is something that I'd like to pursue um on a bigger scale or not bigger scale but more um a routine scale you know right yeah and it's you know within like like in art and music and all this stuff I feel like having that kind of mentality sort of breaks the micro trend uh just like sort of disposition that everybody's in where it's like the creation of the self is like the most important export of the art or what you do but really it's like it's about other people like even with podcasting like i always think i try to think and i don't i don't always get it right but like I try to think like, well, what do people need to hear right now? Because this isn't really for me necessarily. I feel the same way. You know, like people, I mean, like I, I really do like it when either people get inspired or because I've been inspired by so many other artists, you know, and to me, it makes it feel like I don't really own my music, even though like I own my music, it doesn't even really feel like mine. Cause even though I can have like my own story behind it and experience, I still feel like, you know, 
this is just as much everybody else's as it is me because the references that I've had towards it, that came from somebody else. You know, it started with something else. It just sparked something in me and I made what I made. But I really feel kind of like this, um, um, like this freedom with it. Like, I think it's an expression of my circumstance and the, the society around me. And but I don't feel very possessive about what I make in that sense. You know, I, I'm not going to say, oh, that was all me. I think that'd be embarrassing. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean, everything that's done, even if it takes work, it's still, you know, you still have like an input from others, you know, like, I mean, I'm talking to you right now. I mean, this is more about you than it is about, you know what I mean? It's sort of like, um, the contributions that people have, even when I try to do something, it's like, yeah, I always sort of think about it. It's like, oh yeah, I'm just, it's, it's like the classic blade tweet. I'm just a vessel, bro. Like that's, I think think that, (laughs) but it is, but you know what? I, I, I was listening to the song. So I love listening to gospel music. Um, it's something oh, that, I, do too. I don't know, I get like, I get goosebumps and like, I was like, start crying. Cause I really feel, you know, the message of God um, through it. it. It's like a very special feeling. And there was this one song I was listening to. It's like, this battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. Um, and that kind of, you know, I thought about it and it relinquished this like, kind of identifying with, you know, any problem that I'm having or any stress that I'm experiencing. I was just like, this is not really my business to deal with. You know, I'm going to hand it up over to, you know, the man upstairs. Um, But it also has this really great line and it says, you know, God only wants to use you. And at first I was like, wow, that's a really like interesting choice of saying it. But then I, you know, put together some experiences that I've had And also, you know, when you're going through something stressful or something difficult, um, when you open up a conversation about it, like I, you know, as I get older, I feel like there's more difficult conversations that I need to have, you know, to figure things out with somebody or a relationship, you know, how to deal with things. And it feels really awkward or like you might go into it and be like, hey, sorry, I fucked up or vice versa, whatever it is. It can feel really uncomfortable. But at the same time, it's like you're opening up a space for healing. You know, you're opening up this um, this way of growing from the scenario. And yeah, I've had really strange dreams about this where it's kind of like I'll go through something that, you know, even if I didn't do anything wrong, I was I held some responsibility. Um, and I remember being like, oh, we got to talk about this. I was like, let's do it, you know, in person, just you and me. And they were like, no, you know. They invite, like, it was this really strange dream where I'd had a party and something had gone wrong. And the person that owned the place was like, we got to have a chat about this. And I was like, okay, yeah, cool. The dude invited the whole town, like the whole city to come hear me kind of, you know, not confess my sins, but Mm -hmm. um, share what had gone down. And I remember being like, whoa, this is not cool. You know, can't we just deal with this one-on-one? This isn't any of their business. He was like, but it is their business because we're all human. I was like, wait, that's true. You know, like we can all kind of learn from each other. And it's like, there's so much um, shame and embarrassment, you know, going through something difficult. Like there's a lot of people who just try to keep it surface level, you know, not try to, you know, penetrate any wounds or go like deeper into something. And I think that as a society, like we're suffering a lot from that. And I think that's why podcasts are really cool, especially with what you speak about as well, because 
I've listened to the past recent ones. And I'm like, wow, this was like a scenario that I'd never, I never even knew existed or it just wasn't on my mind, you know? And it's bringing up the opportunity to talk about things. And uh, it can be anything. It can be knowledge or it can be an experience, but people are too afraid to be awkward. And I think that that's too bad because I think we miss out on a lot of fun and a lot of love when we don't embrace it, you know? Well, that's part of, you know, the curation of the self, you know, online. Uh, And Mm -hmm. so it's really hard, I think, because people, it's so easy to sort of look a certain way and appear a certain way and, you know, like erase that kind of vulnerability that you might have with just being awkward or being cringe or like, you know, mm-hmm. and so I feel like when people present themselves a certain way and people make fun of it because they're not the way they present themselves, like the immediate thing I think of is like, wow, isn't it so cool that somebody who is this way or this age or like of this kind of demographic, like had the kind of creative wherewithal to make this, which seems yeah. so like sort of like foreign but to me, that's kind of like more of a testament to their imagination to what rather than like, um, you know, is this something like embarrassing? The, the problem yeah. is, is when people I feel like get embarrassed by it and they kind of double down and they're instead of being like, nope, this is just me and this is what I'm doing. Uh, because yeah. I feel like people are really afraid of demystification uh, yeah, well, I, I, I think it's really cool that you bring this up because a lot of people, I think the way that like a lot of people caught interest in me is like been through my Instagram. I mean, people, don't, they don't know where I am. They don't know yeah. who I am. Nothing like that, you know? And that was really fun because it just started out, you know, as like a nice little project because um, it really kind of blossomed under COVID where it didn't really matter because I mean, what, what am I going to do? You know, it was just like, I just had so much fun doing it. But then I started like kind of coming, like coming down with stress, like coming down with a certain type of anxiety. And I realized I was like, wow, like I'm really scared of being visible, you know? And because being visible is being vulnerable. And like that also comes with, you know, being on stage or my opinions or just, you know, the whole complex of being human, you know, it's just, we, we are like a full package, even though like we can only present certain things online. But I felt like I was, I was at this point, I was like, either like I can be stressed out forever and ma- maintain this lore, this mysticism, or right. I can just, you know, kind of fully oh, accept that. Such okay. a good point. Yeah, no, it was like, I was like realizing this, um, like just, I think it was just like half, well, I always kind of had an understanding of it, but it was like, uh, the start before the start of this year is like when I kind of came to terms with being an artist. Cause I thought that was embarrassing too. You know, it's when you come from kind of really hardworking families, um, it's not taken as serious, you know, it's like get a real job, you know, that type of thing, you know? Um, and so it was like, I felt really held back, but not because of anybody else, just my own beliefs about what it is to, you know, fully express and to be a full person um, and I can appreciate some mysticism, but it's come to a point now, you know, where I kind of get, I feel disconnected um, to some other people. Like if I ask them about a project and they, you know, 
try to play it all cool be like yeah i don't know i didn't really want to talk about it you know i'm just yeah. like okay i feel like we missed out on something that could have like i mean everybody has a right to you know say no not want to talk about things and there's you know certain situations where that's fine and other times it's just kind of like i don't know i i i think it's it's just really brave and really bold to be honest and really share yourself in a way that is um, authentic and not so fabricated because yeah. it takes a lot of work. Well, to there's a lot of secrets. Uh, yeah. Well, there's a lot of like, you know, discourse surrounding authenticity. And at one point, like, I don't really love the word authenticity because it's always like, you know, when you look at a kind of like society or, or a culture or something like a community, you know, within any sort of community or civilization, there's never any sort of like question of like poser versus authentic. It's always sort of like <laughs> heretic, enemy, uh, mm -hmm. somebody who's like causing some sort of affront or conflict to the way that we actually do things. And, and so it's like really weird because like older civilizations, like cultures like not a single one had this concept of what authenticity is there was never any sort of like poser it was always like no. the radical deviation or the person causing the deviation is a problem and they must be sort of That's like exiled and so when i think of authenticity it's like it's i i understand why that's problematic but i don't think the answer is to fully you know, decouple. To avoid it. To, to, yeah, to exactly. To sort of like avoid, you know, speaking at least like bluntly or honestly or truthfully, you know, to sort yeah. of like evade. And I understand like language is very tricky these days and it goes multiple directions. It gets, you know, co-opted. Also interpretations. In, yeah, interpretations like of things that you, you may not want and and you see things going in a bad direction and you sort of want to poeticize or aestheticize things. And I think that was really, really important during COVID. And it still is to, to an extent, depending on the context. But I definitely think now um, one of the at least what I'm trying to lean into is like, yeah, because when I first came across your music and, and your image and, you know, there were like these blurred pixelated images of you and <laughs> it was like super mysterious. I'm like, whoa, similar to like Cemetery and, and you kind of like, you know, you've worked with Haunted Mound and, and done stuff with them, too. Yeah, we had a lot of like similar references early on. And so there was like, you know, shared experiences there and like shared inspiration um, and I just remember like, I got, yeah, I, I was really into, I forget what sparked it. There was a lot of different Instagrams. I was like following back in like 2017, 18. I was always like, how did they get their, like, what camera do they use? You know, like, I was just like, wow, I want this. But then I was like, you know what? Like, I remember early on people would ask me also, you know, what camera do you use? And I was like, I did the work myself. I found out, you know, like, <laughs> cause that's what I did. Like I came up with my own recipe for it, you know, use different cameras, you know, layered photos in different ways to one blurry one, one clear one, you know, uh, just layered it, you know, just different ways of doing things. Um, but yeah, it was, it was very like, I don't know. I also don't think like, there was much more behind it than that anyways. Like I hadn't developed so many theories yet. Like that happened a lot after, like, um, like the meaning of the name Elucin, you know, came after I made it, you know, 
So it's like some things you just kind of do because you're like, yeah, fuck it. It looks cool. And later on, I was like, oh, shit, I guess I've kind of done something with the pictures I've taken. You know, it looks kind of cool, you know. Um, so there's very. Yeah, it's it's it was a fun way to go about artistry. But now I feel like I kind of stepped into like this anti-aesthetic phase where I still like aesthetics. But like when people ask me where my style is, where I get my clothes from, I'm like. I'm on that no style style thing now. Like I'll like dress up for fun every once in a while, but I feel like the more effort that I put into my music or into, you know, any type of creative work or even like knowledge, I, I just feel less like trying. uh, Yeah. Especially with social media. I'm like, for sure. Like I want like the physical products that I started to make to be like presented in the way that I want them. But instead of like, I'm just like, not, I'm, I'm just more interested in like the actual content now rather yes. than any sort of, yeah, exactly. Like rather than like the kind of like aestheticization of things. And it, I mean, and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I actually think that's what the world needs right now. You know, I feel like I think they so need- too. Like we do need a lens of, of like seeing something that might look ordinary, you know, to the plain eye, but being able to decorate it. Like, I think that's a beautiful thing to do. And same thing with like the body. Like I just got a tattoo uh, like two days ago and I was only going to get like tiny little, a, a tiny little thing. And I ended up getting something all over my back. Wow. And uh, yeah, like I was like not expecting it, but I was kind of like at this point where I was like, I think it's really fun to decorate the body. And I, I never turn around and look at my back, you know, like that's somebody else is going to be doing that. So I was like, I think it's just kind of cool to play with, to play with image, you know, but some things like if you just want to have a message come across um, that is in the content of what you made rather than, you know, the, the cover of it like then that's I feel like that's good enough like and I think that kind of comes down to not want not feeling like you need to try so hard you know like before I used to love editing pictures a lot I'd spend hours doing it making different filters for each one and and being like okay I made five different ones which one do I like best you know and now I'm just like oh this is a lot of work you know and I just (laughs) do a little simple thing or no filter at all you know I'm like okay good to go you know yeah I feel like that's you know, to me, it's like transitioning into like, like, I want to start a band again. Like I want to make music, you know, with other people again. There's so many things that like, I I feel like are changing for me personally right now, you know, it's like, and it's just, yeah, I think, I think that you're like really tapping into something that a lot of people are sort of feeling right now. And I think people are are generally picking up on like, you know, we just, you know, we have to reassess the conditions as they appear to us historically, you know, and I think, and not be so like strict in the way that we operate or do things. Cause like, I'm about to change my whole shit up. Like, yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> you know, and if people like don't like it or some people do, it's like, I just feel like it has to happen. Like there needs to be, um, it needs to be more straightforward. Like there needs to be like, uh, you know, and get into sort of like more of like, like history and, and doing some research. And, and, you know, you brought a lot of that to 
um, this episode today, which I think is like perfect because this is exactly what I'm, I'm trying to get at, you know, and just to even like talk about things that I love from the past and, and things that are, you know, super important to me and super important to other people that other people may not know that they know even know about or are interested in. And to me, that's kind of like why I asked you the question. I was like, well, what is it that you like know a lot about, but you don't, but other people may not know that. I, I don't know. Like, yeah. I feel that just adds like another layer of complexity to the subject and to the work itself. And, and it's totally. not something like that's narrative or like, you know, making it all about you because, you know, you're trying to give something back to the world that I think is like really lacking in that, you know, lacking in perspective. Yeah. And, you know, in a sense, like that can also be sort of like initially it felt kind of lonely being interested in the things I was interested about. Cause I mean, if you're like at regular um, like social events, it's not very common that you come across people with the same interests or being interested in talking about things when you do, it's like, it's like such a wonderful surprise, you know, but um, a lot of people tend to bond on experience and that can just be like a very like, oh yeah, we got really fucked up that night, you know, and that becomes like their method of connection. And like, I realized I was like, okay, that doesn't work for me. And I feel awkward when it's about that because I, yeah, that's just not how my brain operates. Not to say one is better than the other, anything like that. It's just, um, yeah, figuring out how to share your input. And also I think a lot of people would be interested in these things. That's what I've discovered as well. Like people aren't always aware, like what is like the opportunities that there are like for different types of play, different types of discussion, different types of nature enjoyment. And that's why I love spending time with other people, especially different people than me, people with different experiences, because it becomes like this like crossover episode of um, experience. And I think, I think it's really cool, but I also felt like a lot less pressure about, you know, the trends of the world or whatever was going on when I really started to notice, like looking through history, everything's kind of on a loop, like a hundred year loop, you know, oh, in totally. terms of war yeah, we, and politics and culture. And the about economy you know, too. It's in, in, yes. Like we, like the last episode I did that I'm releasing tonight, it actually like talks about like this. It's like how we're basically stuck in the 1970s and the hundred year loop of the, of that would be the 1870s. And the reason why we're kind of like stuck in the seventies is because like we sort of hypothesized that it, like it was when the gold standard and the dollar became delinked. And so yeah. it sort of abstracted finances and everything sort of dissolved into finance itself. Everything from For like sure. epistemology, knowledge, thought, uh, artistic production, it, it, everything became totally abstracted after that point. And that was like was slightly after, you know, the quote unquote Fordist modes of production. And and mm -hmm. so to me, like, that's what I'm like really, really interested in. And so if, if we're seeking just like newness constantly, then we haven't really left that period, you know? And, no. I, and the way you actually leave it is by going to the past. And so I don't Definitely. have this whole kind of like doomer outlook that I used to like, oh, you know, like being retro or like a little old fashioned and like your sensibilities is like cope or something like that. Like I've totally like that was like a whole Mark Fisher thing, 
you know, that oh, he talked and very, to me. like, like, that was like me, like when I was like, you know, 16, 17, so I was like, I was like, let, I just wish I could go back in time and fit in like way better. You know, it's just like, it's just not, um, it's just really not the reality. Like, it's not like a way for you to save yourself. You know, it's like what, what it really is, is like looking and not wishing it was like what it was, but learning from it, you know, and I also right. think that this is super interesting when it comes to like PC culture, like for example, in you know, like before 2012, you could say anything on Twitter and nobody oh, was yeah. going to call you out for it. You know, it was just like, that was just the way it was. <laughs> and um, now I thought it was super interesting. Like, I don't know if they're doing it as much now, but you know, when cancel culture started coming around and they wanted to hold people accountable for who they were in 2009, you know, how right. embarrassing, you know, like I would hope yeah. that people would evolve, you know, and and I just don't think I just don't think it's fair necessarily to hold people accountable. Well, and I feel like so people are starting to see that now. I feel like it's but that's another trend, too. That's like it's like it's like well, the that's PC the, thing. It goes over and well, waves. Pro- that's why, well, that's why I feel like the whole like anti can't like the whole like anti cancel culture discourse is becoming like. I don't want to say as annoying because the cancel culture thing was fucking abominable and I'll never forget <laughs> how horrible that was. No, as somebody I know. who was like I feel so uh, bad for some people. Oh yeah. I, I mean it, and so I feel like but now it's almost kind of like been recouped in this sort of increasingly like opportunistic way. And yeah. it, and I feel like it's because it's it's expedient and actually, like, there's nothing vital about the discourse itself surrounding it. Like, it's very easy to, like, you know, spew out some, like, alt-right talking point from 2016 because there's there's no stakes behind it, you know? Yeah, like, there's that, nothing like, there's nothing animating it. Therefore, it's like, but it's it's a part of that discursive loop that we're sort of, that at least like me, like I'm trying to get out of, you know, like I'm always thinking about yeah. like, how do I de-escalate the influences around me in the world? And and to yeah. me, that's like way more important than, you know, engaging in this like, ah, oh, it's just, it's all so tedious. It's all, it's like incredibly boring to me at this point. Like, no, I it have is. nothing to do with any of it. Uh, and Even I, if people like go in and like they're like, you know, they take accountability and they apologize. Like we have no way of reading, especially if it's online, if that's actually true. You know, it's like it's kind of, you know, wanting to police people into learning things. And and I just I think that, you know, the way that we heal and treat people kindly is by being connected to each other, like in a community. And it's just it's much harder to read things online um, and navigate that. Like there is no typical recipe, but I really started, you know, understanding that none of it was that serious when <laughs> I just realized, you know, in the 1920s, like things were really not conservative. And then it went back, you know, to totally. you know, the fifties where you just had super stern ways of being and behavior and how you interacted with your neighbors. And, you know, it's like, even like way back in the day, like you get shot if you cheated on, you know, your wife, you know, and like the other person found out, right. you know, it's uh so there's it's culturally it's I see people who are really in it um but I just I think it'd be nice for people to be able to discern a little bit and yeah. just be kind to each other and well, you have to you, know? you have to and like also- you have to like discern between 
intent, you know, like there's like different levels of intention too. I mean, like, like if I say a word that I grew up saying as a kid and it just slips out on accident and I'm not like trying, it's just like, I grew up saying like, that's gay or something like that. This is actually, but I don't actually, I don't go out of my way to like say it as a provocation. It just comes out. And so, you know, we were all kind of drilled, especially in school, like in America, like where I went to school, it was like, we had the whole, like, don't say the R word. We had like sessions on it, like huge, like assemblies about um, certain words. So it was almost kind of like institutionalized that it was okay to say these things because this is, yeah, a different generation. Yeah. So my generation was, was very different. You know, like the public school system uh, was very much kind of like a molding mechanism for like the military or something like that, or to be like a good citizen and a good soldier. And, you know, so like Islamophobia was like very, very mainstreamed even in my high school. Uh, yeah. You know, and this was like in California too. This wasn't even like, yeah. Cause I was going to say totally like, okay. Like every, yeah. like all of it. <laughs> and, and, it's pretty crazy. And, you know, I do appreciate the efforts that some institutions do. Like when I went to school in Norway, like we had, well, they switched it over now back to kind of mainly based on Christianity, but we had religion studies. And I remember like we learned about all like, all types of um, like the big five, you know, and a lot of other different faiths. And um, I remember like, I was like, this is really good because I had judgments too, you know, about things that were unfamiliar to me. And I could see like how it was really good, you know, that knowledge can sometimes just deescalate certain um, like discriminatory beliefs about other cultures. Um, The more I learned, the more I'm just like, I feel like I just judge a lot less about something that's foreign to me because I feel like I've tapped into a little bit and I can understand it a bit more. Um, But I would have to say like things in America are quite polarized and also like who is accountable when you do say, you know, a word slips out that you didn't mean to say is, you know, is it the school? Is it the society? You know, I I think there's many different things, Um, but I I have a really funny story. It's um, I went to high school in California and I'd spent the summer in Norway. And I remember I came back, and sometimes like language gets confused for me. And I mean, Norway is not all that PC. It get they definitely picked up on the American trends because Norway is quite Americanized. And I think this partly has to do with Norway being America's lap dog. Like we're a little bit not indebted to them, but like when it comes to war, you know, like we are right next to Russia. Like we have right. American soldiers at our camps all the time. And um, so I think that culturally they want, like Norway wants to be a little bit Americanized because it helps ease that connection. Um, but still nonetheless, like um, in Norway, like where I grew up, like they would say the people in the neighborhood, not my family, because my mom's American. She knew that this was, you know, big no-no and not cool, but the little island that I lived on, you know, the adults there would say the N word with the hard ER, um, which like was like just really like, wow. Like I remember being like, what the fuck even, you know, even as a little kid, I was like, why would you refer to somebody like that? But still it's like, it's like a cultural thing. And I don't know how big it is there anymore, but yeah. One time after summer, I'd come back to America and the, in Norway, we don't have a word for um, tan, we use the word 
um, like our tan, like our sun places, you know, where you can like fake tan and stuff like that and go in the tanning bed. It's called Brunobli, which means brown and happy. Um, it's just because we don't have the word tan. Um, people yeah. can still say it. It sounds kind of weird. It's like tan, you know, it's just sounds, it's, it's just not natural to our vocabulary. Anyways, you know, I come back to California to start my senior year. And like, I see one of my friends that I hadn't seen in a while. And I was like, wow, I'm just going to make up a name. Like, wow, Josh, like you got so brown this summer, you know? And I was like, wow, look at you. Like, look at what you got to do, you know? And I just remember like the whole group of people around me, like started like staring at me, like giving me kind of like a death stare. Like they just looked so shocked, you know? And like, I, it was not on purpose. Like I didn't mean to, like, I didn't really realize what I had done until like, after like I'd left, I was like, why did that happen? You know? And I was like, Oh fuck. Right. The word is tan, you know? <laughs> and it was just like, you know, I was definitely had anxiety about it then. And now I'm just a little bit like, I don't know how accountable I can be. Like, I, I know not to say that, you know, to anybody, um, especially in a way of like putting somebody down, but it's like, it's kind of like, a, just a difference in culture and preserving things. And like, I think it's language definitely changes up a lot. I'm assuming that Norway is going to take up the word tan and use that instead of brown. Right. But when that's going to be, I don't know. It's probably going to have to be a little bit more globalization from now. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah, you know, but I think, I don't know. I mean, that's also a part of recognizing you know, and respecting the other. And so, yeah, like, being, so, being I mean, this is the, the problem with, like, yeah, like, wokeness is that it, it it says that it respects otherness, but it doesn't actually, which is why, you know, the big meme is you have, like, uh, you know, like, the pride flag and, like, Lockheed Martin and, and these, like, global imperialist forces, you know, basically mm-hmm. using a, a kind of, like, pan-global air force to keep the peace and keep things in check uh you know so there is this kind of hegemonic quality to it that actually doesn't respect otherness doesn't respect oddness or like true queerness in a, in a way and i think yeah. that we have to i don't know like in order to be happy there has to be like there has to be an other that we actually have to come into contact with. And part of that is recognizing that like, you know, a little bit of integration ideologically isn't necessarily a bad thing. And just giving people a little bit of leeway uh, is, is a positive thing too, because we're, we're so fragmented and, you know, but at the same time, like, I don't really want to harp on this too much because I feel like. I agree. I don't <laughs> I don't have much more to like it's like I could I, what I was going to start talking about was like the news and media and I was like yeah no yeah yeah like... we could stay away from that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for sure for sure yeah no but I do think uh like traveling back and forth and also stepping into different roles like having lived so many different places it's like the older I get the better I get at switching the role and like remembering okay how do I behave here and what do I do Um, but you know, I end up really just finding more of like an international community, like other people who have been abroad and lived abroad and it's, it becomes easier because, uh, sometimes it's like either I'll be really inspired by something being very different or you come across people who are a bit more 
judgmental and you just feel really isolated and left out. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's, it's two different sides of it. And it's kind of just intuitively um, finding who you'd like to spend more time with, you know, who makes you shine, all that type of stuff. Totally. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I just, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this has been really, really great. I, I'm like, so, so surprised, not, not surprised because like, I, I love your music. I love everything that you do. It's just, you're so knowledgeable. This is amazing. I think, I don't know. Thank I feel like you. people get so much out of this and I'm happy to like share it with the public. And yeah, is there anything so. like you want to talk about with like your album or just like get into, get into that a little bit or whatever you yeah. want to do? Um, I definitely have to say like, I felt like I was off on a rocky start on the first start of the conversation. I was like, my brain is like not being, cause I feel like, you know, my brain's like a, kind of like a library, you know, and it's like, Oh no, that, you that stuff that was book amazing. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, I, um, I have a great time going into things. Like I have access to J story, you know, and like when I'm supposed to, you know, read up on a certain thing or like I plan on like reading into something very specific and then I just get distracted by it all these really interesting articles and things that I just want to know more about that I just find so intriguing. And um, I don't know how like in depth I can go about any specific topic, but I feel like I can at least touch the surface. And I feel like I can do the same thing with music. That's like how I'm going to like lean into that. I think uh, genre wise, um, it's uh, something that I've experienced like, I don't know like how amazing I'm always going to be at making a rock song or like how good I'm going to be at sampling drums or whatever genre I'll tap into. But I think it's really fun to explore many different ways of being because it's adding novelty to it. You know, it's like opening up Ableton and doing the same thing every time. It just wouldn't work for me, you know, Um, but I I'm definitely a very like exploring person. It's like my brain will never get tired of seeing something new. But uh, yeah, no, my first album is almost done. Um, I mean, it is done. <laughs> it's just kind of putting it out. Like I like doing all like the regular work, like creating it and stuff like that. But like, I'm just imagining going up and uploading it to like all the different streaming things. And I'm like, oh, that's so much work, you know? Oh God. And <laughs> yeah, yeah it's doing, just not, doing that, that with a podcast is so... <laughs> Like the uploading just takes so much time and I'm just like, yeah, that's why I'm like, yeah, I gotta, I gotta spend more time on the stuff that I actually enjoy doing and less on the shit. Yeah. And it's also like coming to a point like where I'm just like considering whether I should be delegating this work to other people, you know, kind of building the team um, of my work. But for a long time now, like I've really wanted to rely on myself and be self-sufficient. Like this is like pretty big in my family too. Like it's from early on, like both my parents as well, like, you know, they learned how to be really self-sufficient. They took care of themselves um, Same. M- much more before I ever did or even am now, you know? That's and, like the uh, biggest thing I struggle with is I'm such a lone wolf and I do everything yeah. by myself and I work like insane hours and i'm just like i don't know that like i won't say i'm like the smartest guy in the world or whatever but the one thing i will say is like i have a work ethic like nobody's fucking like 
yeah, no, I can, I was like surprised. <laughs> like I said. And it just kind of, like, I used to do like manual labor jobs and I would go to the studio and record guitar tracks all night, go on two hours, three hours sleep and be oh back God. at fucking work the next day, you know, like shit like that. Like I just have, yeah. and my whole family is that way. They're just like, if you're enjoying it, it doesn't feel that bad, you know? So, so when something totally. feels like it's, it's work, then, and it's starting to feel that way lately. I'm like, ooh, you know, I got to fucking, I got to, you know, reevaluate this a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And in and, and sense, like that was like almost like a fear for me with music. I was like, well, I don't want to feel like I have to complete a task, you know, like that's not what music is for me. You know, like it, it's, it's play, you know, as much as I've gotten way more efficient, like the way that I can make a track now goes so much faster than it ever did before. Um, the demos go in, you know, like 20 minutes max. And then it's just kind of the after part that takes me a long time because that's more of like the fixing up stuff. That's not as enjoyable, but um, yeah, no, I, I came to this point, especially I think um, being a girl in the music industry, I'm not even totally in the industry or anything like that, but I just see how, you know, a lot of women get treated um especially if they're dependent on other men. Um, and even like when I was on tour, like I knew that a lot of like the in-house sound guys, they would be guys. Like I've never, there was none of them were girls, you know, that were like, you know, just doing the basic mixing back. Um, and I just knew that, well, it wasn't really about me being a girl, but it's like, sometimes the way I talk can be very like fleeting and a bit distracted. And I was like, okay, I kind of like got to like go down there and be like, okay, my name's Elucent and this is what I want. And I want it like this, this and that, you know, just very clear and like learning kind of how to adapt to this. But um, yeah, I've heard some stories from friends where they've been treated pretty shit, you know, yeah. and there's often only sound room guys for, are like, just dicks and in general. Like, yeah. That, always, they're, yeah. I met a lot of nice ones, but there were some people I was like, damn, I think they're fucking this up on purpose, you know? And I was just, but I kind of laughed at it. I was like, it's not really, I mean, like that's, it's just how it is. I can't control other people. But um, yeah, I just, I really came to a point where I was like, I don't want to be put in a category where there can only be one girl who is, you know, a pop singer, only one girl who, you know, especially like in the alternative music world or whatever it is, underground or something like that there's not as much room for there to be more than one person who is like dominating a field and of course that is kind of like a natural sense of hierarchy but I felt like my solution towards not really being stuck in that is being able to produce my own beats you know not being dependent on um like there's like some people who use the same producer and I feel like that can get more it can get stressful it's just, it's just like well what can I provide you know like we're putting out similar music you know um, I feel like it's like that until you get to the point where you're, you're like singing on like a Mike will made it beat because then everybody loves yeah. Mike will made it, you know, yeah. and then it's like, it's a celebration of the producer and the artist, you know? Um, but yeah, no, I think it's actually a luxury to outsource labor. This is, you know, same thing like up at like my family's farm, you know, it's a luxury to pay other people to do the work. If you can do it yourself, do it yourself, you know? Yeah. And, um, but I was super supported early on with my friends who made stuff and I love, you know, singing on other people's beats. It's been fun, but it was kind of like this thing that I was like, I need to, I need to learn how to do this myself. And I also really enjoy it. Like I did a lot of composing before I ever, you know, had 
Ableton. So I really love, you know, the structure and the energy that um, I get when I'm trying to plan out a whole piece. Cause that's what I feel like music is. It's like a piece, you know, a piece of work. Right. Um, but yeah, sometimes people like they'll message me or like, I'll just talk to my friends and be like, Oh, you could just send it to this person. They'll master it. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, but it's kind of expensive, you know? And also like, I just want to be able to say I did it myself, you know? I just um, use and it Land- might not be I just use Lander for everything or like Spotify. It's like a algorithmic mastering service, but I've had shit mastered on Lander that sounded better than like somebody I'd paid like good money to, you know? So it's like I just oh, don't shit. yeah, like I just don't care. I just use like actually Spotify's algorithm mastering algorithm is pretty good too. Huh. So I'll, I'll definitely check that out because there's like some things that like when it's like coming to like a whole project, you know, like making them all sound in check, or like they kind of belong right. to the same thing. That's the thing that I find more. You have um, to tune the work that in, in it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's totally. where like references really come in handy, but it takes a lot of patience to the ear. And sometimes if I'm tired, I don't trust my ear. So it's like, it's like all these like factors that go into making a mix really good. It's a very sensitive, delicate process, at least for the music that I like to make. Yeah, um, I want it to, you know, tickle the ear in a certain way, or I want it to feel like you're walking through mud and like your <laughs> boots are sticking and like you can't really get out. You know, it's like there's it's a certain feeling to the sound that I want to be connected to what people are hearing. Um, but I think, I think it's really close now at this point. And, um, I'm getting more like now that I know how to do it myself, like I know the basics, I feel more eager to um, delegate that work to somebody else also because I love the way that somebody else can master or that somebody else can mix or the way somebody else can play guitar. You know, it's like that becomes something more special. It builds like a bigger project. It builds something that is more community centered. Um, But my first album is definitely like a reflection of sort of like that personal journey and, you know, being kind of up in my own head and figuring things out on my own. And I mean, the second one, which is like almost done as well, it has a little bit more work to do, but um, there's more collaboration there. You know, there's more input from other people and stories that I'm telling about other people. You know, it's not my story, you know, and um, I think it becomes really exciting. Like at this point, I'm more excited for my second album than I am my first Right. Um, yeah, so, no, yeah. that's, um, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I, I agree with all of that. I'm really excited to work with other people too, because I'm like, I'm like after this book release and I shipped out like so many of them and I had to reprint the labels and void them all manually. And I'm like yeah, doing dude, all this stuff. Crazy. It's just like, uh, and I'm like, releasing Did you ship them all already? Most of them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've got like, I've got like literally 30 left. And so I've been doing this like, and release like two episodes this week and have like, just, it's like never, I I don't know. I I mean, it's like, it's like, am I really, am I, it's like, am I really actually giving people the best thing I can give them by like increasing the frequency of it? I am really proud of the book movie thing. Like that is something I'm like mega mega proud of 
I can't wait. Like I really like, I'm looking forward. Like I hope I can get my hands on one um, and watch it. Cause it just looks so, so cool. Um, even just like, just like the short glimpse that I got, you know, it's like, and you can see that like you put in a lot of work to it. And, and I do understand like what you're talking about in the sense that it does become a bit like trite at some point, like doing all this work and having it, you know, be so fast. Um, you can definitely like, I tend to get a high off of things if I've been really efficient. Um, it feels kind of good, but it does come to the point where it's just like, yeah, how good can it really be? I know that I could focus a lot more attention and work into these details if I can let somebody else take care of this. And I do agree that somebody else is going to be better at doing certain things than I am. But it's just like having that like basic self-esteem of saying, I can do it and I know I can. And that's why like I started like um, considering it to be a luxury, you know, to totally. delegate work elsewhere. Because it's just like, wow, this is, you know, a nice break. And it means I have the means to be able to... Um, offload some labor. Right. Um, yeah, I would love that. And I think that. it's that's important. Yeah, yeah I would, it's I like would, supportive. I would love to like outsource the editing to people and I've tried to pay them, but like it's a... Uh, yeah, it's harder to find somebody who could who can do what you can do. And like, there's this, there's this Broadway song that's like, anything you can do, I can uh, do better, yeah, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> and there's a lot of people who can do a lot of things better than I can, but... Well, yeah, well, it's like, it depends on how meticulous you are about the work being done. Um, and I feel like if it comes to like, you know, just shipping things and putting on labels, it's easy to give somebody else that yeah. job. But it's also like, I enjoy doing shit like that. Like, I, I love too. like, yeah. <laughs> it's like fun. It's like, I, I do like repetitive work, like something that has like a rhythm to it. You know, like one time totally. I was like, I could totally work on like those, you know, those line when it comes out on like the little rolling thing and you can disassemble things, assembly line. Oh yeah. That's what it is. Part of my dream like, is to just, is to just do that and do nothing. Else. Right. I know. And just go no, home. For me, like that is walk. like the ideal life. You know, you work at yeah. the assembly line and then you like sit on your porch and you have a beer and a cigarette and watch the sunset and like the, like the little grass, like, like blowing in the wind, you know, Oh man, like, that sounds really nice. It you does. know, Oh God, it's, I want. Unfortunately, like labor like that is just not as supported as it should be. Like I fully believe that, you know, people who work in assembly lines or in industries like should, like it should almost be not a luxury, but just like basic happy life, you know, because that work is necessary to almost all means of production, you know? And uh, yeah, it's, it's still a struggle for a lot of companies to get unionized in that sense. Um, are there so much, you know, anti-union propaganda too, because the thing is it, it's not impossible for it to, you know, be decent work and to give you a decent, healthy living. Um, but you know, yeah. Uh, a lot of the labor organizations, you know, had a lot of like, they had a lot of ties to the CIA and stuff. It's like, yeah, I, I feel like it's a little bit more sus in America. Yeah. I have a lot of like union shit in my family, like teamsters union family members. Uh-huh. And it's like, oof, like I know some shit that like, you know, there's like this very sort of like quaint, you know, leftist idea of like unions is this like cute cuddly thing it's like no 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 no. like they are (laughs) they are non-ideological yeah the the afl-cio i mean 
there's like prostitution rings, drug oh, dealing, shit. just like I know crazy fucking shit. I just wonder, you know, like like for like, you know, an organization that is not really supposed to have any hierarchy of power, but there still is, you know, like exactly. how is that properly dealt with? Like I don't see a lot of examples of that being like the healthiest. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't really know what the solution is. My great uncle, he was a president of a Teamster union. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I almost worked for him and it was like, oof, I saw one on there. It gives good it pay, like, though. I, I must admit, oh, it's like, shit, it's like, does, it's but, like a very, Yeah, but very I was not trying life. to work on a pipeline in a lap uh, out in no, the Arctic, no, no. the North Arctic Circle, where every mile of pipe that gets laid, you know, somebody dies on the crew. <laughs> I mean, oh, for it sure. Uh, it wasn't really my thing. I was not, I don't feel like I was cut out for that per se, but no, no, you know, and everybody's different. And, and the benefit I, was basically like, they were like, we fly out whores and prostitutes on like helicopters oh and God. shit like that. And they're like, so yeah, we'll That's take insane. care of you. Yeah, no, and like, uh man my uncle got caught up in like the meth trade and just like like the whole fucking thing is like so not cute and cuddly and like (laughs) like it's not at all it's like totally sus and fucked up that's unlike any union i've ever heard of you know like the ones over here like they're pretty just like it's kind of like the cheap version of corporate you know it's not bougie but you just you know you get nice benefits and but it is actually a huge problem like being able to fire people in unions it's like almost impossible you know so you can end up being stuck with a lot of troublemakers in a sense um but but that's like the reason why like because i know like especially when it comes like for example to work on an oil rig like i like even like they have like a um it's technically supposed to be involuntary military service here in Norway. Um, I wasn't like, I'm not the best candidate for that, you know? So I was like, I don't do well under pressure. I can't do it. And they were like, okay, okay. And so I didn't have to do it. A lot of people can opt out in that sense if they have a like good enough reason for it. Um, But I get really inspired by people who are able to do that work. And that's why like my, first album sin fuels is named sin fuels it's like after um this uh it's like a coal gasification company in north dakota in Beluha. i think that's how you say it um because i was just so like i was so inspired by those workers there um and just you know the work that they they put in to get it done it's kind of like you know when i go down the street and i'm looking cute and stuff like that it's the manual labor people who you know holler at me and give me nice compliments and are polite, you know, it's like, it's not like I've never, you know, I've never felt flattered the same way. And I just, I know it's kind of like a dedication to them because it's a lot of work and also like the power exchange, the power dynamics, especially um, with um, synthetic fuel. It's like going from one type of power coal to another, you know, it's it's like a liquid clear synthetic fuel. You go from something black and something really dark to something kind of clean, but they're both power. They're both fuel. And so I was just really inspired by that. And, and the people that work there, I felt like they needed to have some, some music to honor them, even though it's yeah. like not really their story. It was still just spark this like fuel about it for me. That's really great. 
Um, oh yeah. But yeah, no, I'm one of those people I can talk forever, you know? So no, you're great. It's like at I get it. You would be away. an amazing <laughs> podcaster. Like I was telling you how I wanted to do that when yeah. we met. I was like, I yeah. really want to get it started. But it's like, I also like have like a mockumentary that I'm working on, like a joke <laughs> book that I've been working on. So it's like, I get very excited about um, new, like new ideas and new things I want to do. And I'm just like, I need to just get one thing done first, like just put out this album and then I'll see, you know, I, yeah. I would still like to do uh, a podcast at some point um, and turn some people into romantics. Cause I think we kind of need that. I think we need some um, decoration of stories and lives in these days, but yeah, there'll, there'll be a time and place. That's why I'm really happy that I got to join yours and be a guest on your show. Cause I was like, it's kind of an introduction. Close, 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 close.
Please.